Hi, friends. Welcome here. Happy Easter. He is risen. Y'all got it. Y'all got it. That's great, man. Thank you for making Circle a part of your Easter weekend as you gather with family and friends and as you enjoy uh, community and togetherness today. A special welcome to those of you that are joining us maybe for the first time. Uh, We're just so glad that you're here. You're always welcome to be a part of this family. And also welcome to those joining us online. Wherever you're joining us from, we're so glad that you can gather with us here on Easter Sunday. You know, growing up, I have a lot of fond memories of of the Easter season, um, just growing up as a child. Um, One very fond memory, but also tragic memory as well, is is when I was in kindergarten, grade one, grade two, we always used to paint Easter eggs. And tragically, my egg would never make it home in one piece. It just never would. I would always find a way. I mean, parents, you know this. You give your kids something, so don't break this. They will find a way to break it. It would never last a journey from school um, back to home. So that was a little bit tragic. But, you know, Easter season also reminds me of, of a time when I, I really am reminded that I have a almost inhuman, almost a supernatural ability to crush a bag of mini eggs, like by the handful. It just tastes better. The more that you can fit in your mouth at the same time, it just tastes better. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I can't be the only one here. So much so that this morning, one of my youth brought me a little bag of mini eggs with John labeled on the bag. And so you can tell this is a real thing for me. But more seriously, you know, the Easter season is a time where, um, you know, I reflect on a particular moment of my life. You know, when I was younger, my grandpa, who's now in the presence of Jesus, uh, used to take me to various churches around Holy Week. And it was great because I got to see a, a lot of these reenactments of, of Palm Sunday of Good Friday, you know, seeing Jesus carry his cross, being nailed and hung on this cross. And on the Easter Sunday, seeing seeing the joys that came with seeing the stone being rolled away and being empty. And these dramatizations have been sort of ingrained in my mind and imprinted in my mind for what Easter is really about. I've had this childlike wonder and, and, and awe of Easter. The dramas, they brought sort of a visual, a visual of what those first century people experienced. As a child, I was captivated by the story, captivated by the grief and sorrow of a Friday that we call good, yet a Friday that ended in grief and sorrow and in tragedy. Captivated by the thought of A man, this proclaimed son of God, who would choose to die for what? For for me? But I found that as I grew older, as the years passed into my teenage years and my young adult years, I found that just with time, I lost that spirit and awe and childlike wonder of Easter. Is this just another Easter for you? Is this just another Easter for you? See, what I'm hoping that you leave here this morning recognizing is that Jesus was the turning point in human history. Jesus was the turning point in human history. Everything that is good in the world, we can trace back to that first Easter. So, who is 
this Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's a question that society has asked for a very long time. You see, when it comes to Jesus, some of us would kind of describe him as a teacher or, or a hippie, like a self-help guru with beautiful long hair and a beard that, well, let's face it, isn't quite as good as mine. Others would describe Jesus as maybe a political revolutionary. Now, others would say that Jesus is God, but in the form of, of a human being, in the form of a human avatar. We all have theories about who Jesus is. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, first, just welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. There will always be a seat at the table for you. But in the New Testament of the Bible, there are these series of books called the Gospels. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're accounts of Jesus' life that help us really see who this Jesus is. So if you've read these Gospels or if you've read parts of these Gospels, your synthesis of Jesus is likely to include three parts. And the first is that Jesus was a teacher or a rabbi in Hebrew who was sent to teach and talk about life in God's world. Now, I think that without a doubt, without reservation, Jesus was the most intelligent, brilliant, thoughtful teacher in the world. Now, the second is that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, which is just a Hebrew word that means king. See, sometimes society uh, thinks that Jesus was a good teacher and no more, but Jesus talked about his purpose as being far more than just that. In fact, most of Jesus' teachings were about something called the kingdom of God and not just, you know, good, practical, moral, or ethical teachings. In fact, Mark, in his biography, his account and, and summary of Jesus, he writes this. He writes, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. And that's really important because at times we do this. At times we do this. You know, we say Jesus was all about love and, and Jesus was, was all about social justice and Jesus was all about, uh, you know, freeing people from tyranny and Jesus was all about blank, whatever it is. Usually you insert the person's agenda in that, into that blank. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about all of those things, but they were also secondary. You see, Jesus' central message was that the kingdom of God is here, it is near, and it is now. Now, if that sounds confusing to you, it's okay because it, it, kind, of, it kind of is, but Jesus' claim was that the kingdom of God, which is a language that's unfamiliar to you and I because it's a Jewish phrase, but this long-awaited kingdom, this moment when God would break back into human history and make the world right again, when God would become king over the earth again. It's what Israel had been waiting for for hundreds of years. Jesus is saying that, one, it is here, and two, he's saying that he is the Messiah, the king of Israel and the world, the one to usher in the kingdom of God. Like, bro, that is a staggering claim to make. But Jesus' third claim goes even harder than the first two. You see, Jesus claims to be the Lord. Everywhere that Jesus would go, if you read the Gospels, he would heal the sick, he would cast out demons, he would prophesy over people, he would, he would do, perform miracles left and, and right. People essentially thought that Jesus was like a prophet, like Elijah or Elisha, if you read the Old Testament of the Bible. But after a while, 
it became very clear that something more was going on here. God was up to something special and unique in Jesus, in particular after Easter Sunday, after the resurrection. You see, immediately, immediately, within, within days, within days, people started to worship Jesus. In fact, the early Christian claim, it's something that people would often go to, to death for in Rome, is one line, and it's Jesus is Lord. Lord, the word that was actually used in Jesus' day in Greek was kurios, kurios. And that was the Greek translation of the Hebrew, Hebrew proper name for God. So if you're in that time and you made that claim that Jesus is Lord, you are essentially saying that Jesus is the physical embodiment of God. You're saying that Jesus is the physical embodiment, the physical representation of the God of the universe. You're saying that divinity and humanity exist in the same place in Jesus. And there's so many examples in the New Testament of the Bible that make claim to Jesus as Lord. And I'd love to just share a few with you. John 1 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Colossians says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, my point, my point is this that over and over and over, within, within days, within weeks, within years, hundreds, if not thousands of people made this audacious, unheard of before claim that Jesus, this, this poor anti-establishment rabbi from the north of Israel, that he was more than just a teacher or a messiah, but that he was Lord. You see, what makes Jesus different from the guy on the street corner downtown Saskatoon with a sign and a megaphone saying that he is Lord, is Easter Sunday. It's resurrection. We believe all of this is true about Jesus, that he is Messiah, that he is Lord, because Jesus is back from the dead. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you have the Bible on your phone, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament there. And this is the end of the story of Jesus in Matthew's biography, and it's kind of a surprise ending. You see, you'd expect it. You'd expect this, this trajectory of the life of someone who claims to be king and lord. You'd expect it to end with a throne and a coronation of Jesus, like what we're about to see with Prince Charles, uh, King Charles pretty soon. But yet, it ends with his body lifeless on the cross. You'd expect this beautiful crown uh, to be placed on his head, but instead it ends with a crown of thorns and on a cross to die in your place and in mine. Now you'd expect it to end in victory, and eventually it does, but at first 
It looks like it ends in defeat with Jesus dead. But then three days later, we read this. We read this in Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. What's up, he said. He said greetings, actually. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Worshipped him. Notice that. Within hours, Jesus was worshipped. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Skip down to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. There it is again. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's essentially Jesus saying, I am Lord in the first person. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, at the center of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus is the claim that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, he's not dead, he's here, he's not far away, and he's now, he's not back in the past. That God has made this poor Galilean rabbi the king and lord over all of creation and that his kingdom is here. That is the guts. That is the soul. That is the heart. That is the essence of the gospel of Jesus. It's all about resurrection. N.T. Wright, who's a notable Anglican scholar, says this about Jesus. He says, the resurrection of Jesus declared that Jesus was not the ordinary sort of political king, a rebel leader that some had supposed. He was the leader of a far larger, far more radical revolution than anyone had ever supposed. He was inaugurating a whole new world, a whole new creation, a new way of being human. He was forging a way into a new cosmos, a new era, a new form or existence, hinted at all along but never before unveiled. Here it is, he was saying. This is the new creation you are waiting for. It is open for business. Come and join in. You see, Jesus was the turning point in human history. Everything that is good in the world, everything that is good, can be traced back to that first Easter when the kingdom of God was unleashed on earth, but something has changed. Something has changed over the last few hundred 
years. You see, we live in a fascinating time in Western European history. We, we really do. These are terms that you may or may not be familiar with. There's something called the pre-Christian age, the Christian age, and the post-Christian age. And the Christian age is a time when the gospel of Jesus, when the way of Jesus was spreading all throughout Europe. And there was a time when Europe and North America were Christianized, when the way of Jesus spread so far into the fabric of, of Western culture that it created a blend. It wasn't a great blend, but it created a blend for hundreds of years where the ethics of Jesus were sort of the baseline for morality and culture, where most people had faith in God and even in Jesus, where a lot of people were marked by the way of Jesus itself. And all of this, historians argue, gave rise to what we know as the Enlightenment, which gave rise to science and technology and medicine and democracy to monarchy and arts and architecture and women's rights and equal opportunity for all. All of this comes out of the worldview that you read all over the New Testament of the Bible. Most of the hospitals, education systems, democratic government, most all of this was started by followers of Jesus, if not by the church itself. Now, there's been a lot of rewriting in history that's happened over the last few decades that's really turned the church into the villain. And at times we have. There's nothing to brag about there. But at other times, it was absolutely stunning what followers of Jesus were on about, particularly in the West. But we've moved on, and we find ourselves now in a post-Christian age, a post-Christian age. Mark Sayers is a pastor and an author from Melbourne, Australia, and he has this to say about post-Christianity. He says, post-Christianity attempts to move beyond Christianity while feasting on its fruits. Post-Christianity is Christianity emptied of its content. It still wants to hang on to the parts that it liked, right? We want the kingdom of God without God and without the king. See, here's the thing about our humanness. Here's the thing about every human that has ever existed, about every human that is to come. We ache, we ache for the reality of the kingdom of God. We ache for justice, for shalom, which is a Hebrew word that means peace. We ache for deep well-being and for joy. We ache for all of that. We ache for equality for men and for women and children from every ethnicity, from every background, from every stage of life. We ache for freedom from tyranny, for success and prosperity and generosity and justice. We ache for everything that Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God, but we don't want a king. Don't tell us what to do. We do our own thing. This is, this is Canada. It's a free country. I do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. Don't tell us what to do, but we still want the kingdom. See, essentially the West, the Western world, is kind of this little project that's, that's dedicated to the pursuit of creating our own little private utopia. We have this nice wealthy, beautiful corner of heaven on earth. I mean, man, this city, if you've traveled around the world, you know how good we have it here in this city and in this country. 
this city and this country is so great, man, that it almost, it almost fools you into thinking that good food, a good drink after work, a nice home to live in, a shiny new car, the brand new iPhone is enough out of life. And almost fools you into that narrative. The beautiful world. We've created this outside world that is beautiful. It looks so beautiful. But the inside world is an ugly mess. We all know that our society is staggering under the weight of pain and suffering. We are a depressed society. Addiction, addiction is at an epidemic level. It's at an all-time high. Addiction to sex, to work, to drugs, to money and stuff, and more money and more stuff, and more money and more stuff. And addiction to technology. Man, my generation, this generation, we're so addicted to technology, and we're in denial about it. We're not even ready to talk about it yet. And we see, we see people that seem to have it all together. You know, people that I know, some of my friends that, that don't believe in Jesus, people in my neighborhood, people that really seem to have it put well together, doing well in life, a good marriage, a good a home, a good family, a good job, whatever, but there's no inner life. There's no inner life. So people just run to stay ahead from one thing onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Distraction after distraction after distraction after distraction. You see, the beautiful world, the beautiful world is a facade because it has no clue how to deal with suffering. It has no idea how to deal with suffering. I had a $4 donut the other day. $4 for a donut. Thanks, Obama. I, I love Obama, People just say that. A $4 donut, as good as it is, it's not enough to get you through divorce. A $7 latte, I don't care how good that cashew milk is. It's not enough to get you through cancer. A $200 pair of jeans, ooh, raw denim. It's not enough to get you through the highs and the lows the suffering and the pains of life in the world that we call home. You see, you can't have the kingdom without the king. And why would you want to? The king is the best part. You can't have justice, you can't have shalom, you can't have peace, you can't have well-being and true joy and the healing that you and I ache for. We can't have any of it without Jesus the King right in the middle of it. So that's the bad news. But there's a reason why the gospel of Jesus is called good news. The good news is that Jesus is the king. He's come back. He's back from the dead. His kingdom is here, and everyone is invited. That is the good news. You are invited. Come on now. No matter what you've done 
or knocked on, no matter where you're from or where you're going, you are invited to the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling you and he's asking you to rethink your story around the story of Jesus and then change the trajectory of your life away from God towards God. He's asking you to change the trajectory of your life away from Jesus towards Jesus. You see, if you grew up in the church, in a Christian home, or if you grew up as an atheist, if you grew up as religious or irreligious from the East or from the West, as a cynic or a believer, educated or not, wherever you come from, wherever you're going, Jesus is calling you by name. He sees you right where you're at. He sees you sitting in all of your pain, all of your past, all of your future, what you don't even see yet. He sees you. He sees all of it. And he's calling you. Can I invite you, if that's you, man, come talk to one of us after the service. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. And we'd love to help you get started on this journey of changing the trajectory of your life away from Jesus towards Jesus. Come and see us, man. We'd love to see you. Now, you might be here, and maybe you're curious now. Maybe we've piqued your curiosity about the church or about this Jesus. Can I invite you to Alpha at Circle? And Alpha is the greatest space, the greatest space to have honest conversations about life and faith. Plus, there's cake, so I'll be there. Now, some of you, some of you may already be an apprentice or a follower of Jesus. And I have a closing thought for you as everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Man, today's a great day. Today's a great day. And we live in a great city. We live in a great country. And hopefully you'll have a great time with your friends and your family today, you know, a little honey-backed ham. Nothing says Jesus has risen from the dead like pig, am I right? <laughs> Even though Jesus was Jewish, so that's kind of weird. That's a separate thing, I guess. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the reality that everything good in your life, so much of your life, your community, even the social fabric of your city, so much of it is the byproduct of that first Easter. And I want you to turn the awareness of, oh, Jesus was the turning point. Jesus was, I want you to turn the awareness of that. And I want you to turn it into gratitude. Turn it into gratitude. You see, as followers of Jesus, every good and beautiful moment in life is an excuse to say thank you. Because we believe there's a creator and we live in the creation. And there's a lot of evil in this world, there is, but there's a lot of good and everything good is just an excuse to say, God, thank you. So I want you to take all of the beautiful stuff in your life and turn it into gratitude. But at the same time, I want you to take all of the ugly stuff in your life, and there's, there's definitely ugly stuff. And I want you to take all that is ugly 
And I want you to turn it into a moment to connect with God. And I just want you to invite God into the pain of your life. You see, no one here is immune. No one here is immune. Suffering is a part of life no matter how much money you have, no matter what kind of shoes you wear, no matter what kind of neighborhoods you live in, no matter how good your coffee is in the morning. Suffering is a part of life. So for you, even if life is rough right now, even if there's pain, even if there's suffering, you already know the end of the story. You know the end of the story. You see, the worst thing that this world can throw at you is death. And my friends, death has been defeated along with all of his friends. And so the message of Easter is not, you know, pretend that everything is okay, because for some of you, everything is not okay. But the message of Easter is that you are not alone. No matter what you're up against, Jesus is with you. There's healing in the here and the now. And there's hope because Jesus is back from the dead. He won. He won the war on evil. He defeated death. And it's only a matter of time before you step into resurrection and before you step into this world made new. So no matter what you're up against, you and I live with hope. In an age of skepticism and a cynical society, a cynical time and age, we are a community of hope because we believe we live in a universe where dead messiahs come back from the grave. And if that's possible, man, then anything is possible. You see, in the story of life, death has some finale to it but not for Jesus, not for Jesus. The story isn't over. In fact, we're, we're just beginning, the beginning of a movement that we're journeying through as a community over the next seven weeks, and you're all invited into it. A movement that nothing can overcome. Even the gates of hell won't overcome it. Rome couldn't stop it. No culture could stop it. No nation or leader will stop it. You see, Easter Sunday wasn't just the end. It wasn't the end at all. It's to be continued. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. And God, thank you for resurrection. Thank you for resurrection of your son, Jesus. And God, I thank you that because death has been defeated, we no longer live in this facade of a beautiful world, God. But we live in the hope of the kingdom that is here now and the kingdom that is to come. And God, right now, we take all that is beautiful in our life, everything that is good in this world, we take all that is beautiful and we just give it to you with gratitude and we say thank you. But at the same time, God, we take all of the ugly of our life, all of the mess, and we invite you into the pain and the suffering of our life. And in the midst of that, God, would you remind us 
that this is not the end, that there is hope because the grave has been defeated, death has been overcome, and Jesus has won. The war on evil is over. And with that, we celebrate and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, we say amen. My brothers and sisters, he is risen.